This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, the business station? BFM 89.9. Good morning. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Wong Ning and Philip C. This is WTF or What's the Focus? Our weekly roundup show of the top stories this week and other bits and pieces of the news that you may have missed or even that we may have missed. But really, we want to bring it up to you with, with you and just you know chat about it as we head over into the weekend. Um, so here's a story from the UK. You may be following headlines about the UK's controversial asylum policy involving sending refugees to Rwanda. Uh, The UK Parliament passed the law this week, much to Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's relief, although there are still some other steps to go before it becomes law. And not everybody in his party was happy. And not everybody in his party was happy indeed. What may have flown under the radar, though, is another UK controversy involving British Post. And this case is a cautionary tale in what could happen when technology goes wrong. That's right. Between 1999 and 2015, 736 UK post office branch managers were prosecuted and convicted of financial misconduct based on information generated by the organization's computing software, which was called Horizon. Now, it's still being used in the post office today, but it wrongly indicted sub-postmasters and sub-postmistresses mistresses that had been involved in the campaign of theft and false accounting, leading many to serve jail time. When you think of the magnitude of what this system, this software error caused, right? Really, there are no words to describe this, right? And this miscarriage of justice actually came to light in 2019 when the High Court ruled that the Horizon software was to blame and then the government subsequently ordered an inquiry into the affair in 2020. Now, it's a bad enough situation. Then the tragedy continues because so far, only 93 people have had their convictions quashed after it was revealed that Horizon was riddled with faults. And then in 2021, the Court of Appeal overturned 39 of those convictions in a single ruling. In the meantime... People's lives have been devastated. That's right. And only a recent TV drama actually triggered calls for the process to be expedited. So really the question here is, what happened between 2020 and 2024? Why was nothing done, right? And why does it require a TV drama really to call, bring this to light? Because we've had this for so much. Oh, it's just COVID shadow, overshadowed everything. It's a really good question, and I think one that a lot of people are asking. Um, it, it is quite remarkable that it took a TV show to bring this yeah. to public attention. I think, and may, maybe in part that's what caused. I don't know. I, I really don't know why there were lapses in oversight. Why I'm sure there were complaints. I'm sure there were petitions. Uh, why why it wasn't given the attention that it was due? And when you think about it, that kind of mistake really cost. The lives of a lot mm. of people, the That's livelihoods right. and, you know, just the what they had to do. I don't know. If you're the UK post office, all right, and you're the company, wouldn't questions have been risen in the first place as to why? I mean, you probably hire thousands thousands of employees, but 736 of your UK post office branch managers, does it make sense that so many would actually be involved in some form of financial misconduct? It doesn't, you know, financial misconduct at an institution like the post office doesn't happen every day. 
Correct. I mean, think about this prosecution, right? 1999 to 2015 is six years, right? And, you know, if you were a big organisation, you would have proper internal audit processes when these things happen, right? When you see these things happen, you say, oh, something is wrong, something is fishy. So do the investigations. And I think the biggest problem here is that this technology provider, which is Fujitsu, is still having the system. It's still in the UK post office. I would have imagined after this 1999 to 2015 thing, with the inquiries done by the High Court up to 2020, the Technology platform provider is still observing mm. the UK post office. That sounds like a travesty, a grand travesty. Okay, so there are two parts to this, right? One, of course, is Fujitsu that's doing the software. And apparently, there were some issues. It was There were some uh, reasons that they should have been looked at. And like this contract, by the way, Philip, was worth 2.4 billion UK pounds, okay? Significant amounts of money. So uh, the, co- the program still is allowed to run. At the same time, you have... The post office, they are the ones that are pushing ahead with the with the prosecutions. So it's like, why was the post office so determined to push this through when logically, like I say, it just seemed insane that so many people will be guilty yeah. of misconduct. And there wasn't anybody at the post office asking, hey, this looks a bit odd, right, in the scheme of things. So much so that until today, well, what happened is, thank goodness, but it's so delayed, is that the government has moved to quash all related convictions. So Rishi mm. Sunak has said, you know, with with the announcement, he has basically said, let's end this episode in terms of whether these people forward. were guilty or not. They are not guilty. Yep. Because otherwise, if it had to go through the court process, it would still also take years. So, okay, kudos to Rishi Sunak, but not great for, it, it's, that, it's small comfort for these people and their families that were impacted. All right, let's turn our attention to another story uh, related to upcoming festivities. Uh, because if you come to the BFM studio in Manara Ken TTDI, you'll see that we've started putting up our Chinese New Year decorations. We have all manner of dragons on the wall spaces and windows. And this coming year will be the year of the wood dragon. This is uh, pretty crucial because dragon years tend to coincide with an increase in fertility rates, which is something that China is really, really hoping for. Unfortunately, that's not the case in China because for the second straight year they've actually seen their population decline. Now Chinese officials expect as many as 9.3 million births in 2024. It's a tick higher than the last year but it, if the birth rate does rise though it does, it will mean more to the question about whether or not that can replace its ageing workforce. Technically, rabbits are known for reproducing, right? And that hasn't really been seen, I suppose, in the year of the rabbit. Okay, well, excuse you. for Okay, the reason why, you know, there's this thought that you want to have a dragon baby is because if you really believe in the Chinese zodiac symbols or horoscope, then, you know, the, the dragon is supposed to be like the best of all the animals. You can build a grand I believe it. Oh, No, no, I'm the tiger. I disagree. Uh, Philip, you are the what? <laughs> I'm a monkey, okay. which explains a lot. And Shaz, you're the? <laughs> I am an ox, slow okay, and steady. I'll eat all of you. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is that, you know, people think, okay, I want a kid born in the year of the dragon. So there's, you. but to be fair, there usually is a slight bump in birth rates. Even mm. here in Malaysia, if you ask schools, right, and they are Roman, there is a little bit more in Roman every year when dragon babies join primary one, yeah. for example. Well, China needs all the help they can get. I mean, if you think about the issue with China's population, it has been declining. They had this one-child policy, you know, a couple of decades back. They U-turned it with a two-child policy. And even with the implementation of, you know, relaxing that one-child policy, the population has still declined, right? Birth rates are still not improving. So that's a big challenge for China. Hello, they are giving modest cash handouts if you have more, if you have more children. 
it's gotten to the stage where the government has realised that by 2050, any people aged 60 or older, they're going to make up 40% of China's population. And if you look at the economic structure of China, so much of it is driven by human capital, uh, manufacturing. So, of course, that's why you see this government moving towards you know, technology, looking at the circular economy. But at the same time, they are concerned because it puts a lot of uh, pressure on the shrinking younger population. I mean, how much effort can a government or country kind of coax you to, you know, produce, right, or even give birth, right? How much of these grand plans really can translate to actual numbers? I mean, governments all over the world have continued to try, right? Singapore has its uh, known matchmaking efforts trying to get uh, Singaporeans together so they can make babies. But when it, yeah, it's it's difficult to engineer that, I think, which is why demographic policies like China's Mm. one-child policy are actually... They're risky. And the thing is, you're not going to see the implications of that till many years down the line when it's too late to reverse things or change things. Um, and China is dealing with that at the moment. We don't have such a policy, oh, we but are. we are an aging population. Mm. And what's difficult for us is we're becoming old before we're becoming rich. So we're not like Japan that's already reached developed status, high income nation, and they're getting old. We are still in the process, but our population is already aging. Exactly. And then do we have the social protection infrastructure? Do we have subsidies? sufficient savings mm. to actually allow for our aging population to retire in comfort. These are our own questions that we have in Malaysia. Uh, but clearly, it's going to be an increasing problem around the world. And I don't blame young people for not wanting to have so many children because cost of living pressures are real. Inflation is real. Bringing up a children is not cheap. And if you don't have the adequate social services in terms of childcare and all that, those those are real real problems. I think also if you're worried about climate change and the kind of world that we're going to leave to our children, I think that's also another factor that actually discourages people from thinking about procreating in this day and age. In any case, uh, we have some time for a very quick story, an extra story. They say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, but uh, Uniqlo is very unimpressed with Shein and is actually taking the uh, fashion platform to court for copying one of its most famous shoulder bags. I can imagine the logic here, but isn't that the business model for any kind of fashion brand? You have even like Zara saying, look, I look at what's on the catwalk and I mm. try and replicate that. You see this, actually Shein's business model has always been something like that, right? Yeah, they look at what's happening there and then they try and make some tweaks to it. Is the, the issue is, here the tweak is too close to what yeah, the Yeah, were there any tweaks or does it look yeah. exactly, exactly the same? Now, this Mary Poppins bag, which by the way, I gave my team members for their Christmas except me, present, but, except you, but mm. you're, you're special. you get something else later. <gasps> No, the favorite child. Something something cheaper. But anyway, (laughs) it really went viral, right? It was such a hit on TikTok. And the point is, what what breach is there in terms of intellectual property? Mm. Is this bag in the first place something you can actually say, I have intellectual property rights over? Because it's so unique to me that only I can make it. Uh, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. Will this case start start a new standard? It's interesting to find out. The case will be heard in Tokyo. I I want to know because you're right. Fashion brands like Zara copy what's in the on couture, but of course they are not exact exact copies. Are exactly. They? What is exact? What is the differential you can expect and accept? All right, well, we'll be watching what happens to that. Don't forget, Shein is planning to go for IPO or, you know, they hope to go for IPO sometime this year. So we'll be watching to see what comes out of this. In the meantime, uh, 9.47 a.m., let's take a quick break and have head into some messages. We'll come back with a look at more stories, this time from the local front. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. 
9.48 a.m. You're listening to The Morning Run. This is WTF, or What's the Focus, our weekly recap show that takes place every Friday to make sure that you head off into the weekend with lots of facts and figures and interesting tidbits to start conversations with whoever you meet. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Philip C. and Wong Xiaoning. We're turning our attention to some of the local stories that have dominated headlines uh, over the past few days. And I think one of them is this proposal for a fixed-term parliament act uh, that was put forth by Deputy Prime Minister Datuk Sri uh, Ahmad Zaid Hamidi. It ha- it's a proposal that has been floating around ever since uh, pre-GE15. You have civil society groups calling for certainty in the date of elections to allow for better planning, um, to allow for people to make plans to come back or to send back their postal votes. Uh, it isn't until now, though, in the wake of the supposed Dubai move, mm. that uh, there has been more political traction for this proposal. I think this is an interesting point in the sense that you do see many proponents for it. I wonder if the issue here is who proposed it that actually caused the biggest ire, right? Because it's the incumbent government that actually wants to drive that stability. If it was kind of proposed from a different context, perhaps it would have, you know, got more traction. But I think it's because the proposed individual that actually wanted to make these amendments in place, I think that's the biggest concern here. Mm. Be that uh, that Zaid Hamidi. Okay, but guess what? It ain't going anywhere for the moment because our Prime Minister basically has just said that no consensus has been reached among the unity government leaders so far regarding this. Um, He says that the enactment of the law is not a priority for the government. He's not saying he's not going to discuss it because his exact words are, I look forward to a discussion about it, but at the same time, it's a little too premature for us to decide anything. Mm. We haven't even had any comments from the Attorney General. So a question in my mind is, you know, earlier on, we had this anti-hopping law that has all been passed and implemented. Hasn't that provided some stability? Yeah, I mean, it it has strengthened the institution of parliament or democracy. Correct. So why add on to that, right? Because we already have this ability to have created some stability with that. Mm. How does this really add more value? So you're not a, a proponent of it? I, I think it's a very interesting concept. And I mean, we've seen best practices take place there. Right? I mean, the UK has some form of that. Which the US, by the way, every yes. year, 2nd November, exactly. not every year, but you know, the every US four years, election. it's quite clear. Yes. Although, you, I mean, there are all these mechanisms where you can actually impeach a president, for example, as an example, you know, so it's not necessarily all entirely fixed. But I, I guess the question here is timing of when you do these things, right? Who is proposing it is my, my biggest issue. Okay, so if you're for it, your argument would be, okay, because you cannot then use elections as a political weapon. You remove that uh, that tool completely. Secondly, everybody knows exactly when it's going to happen. There's no second guessing. Even some people will argue it's benefiting businesses because they know, okay, this is the timeline. I can adjust my... I can plan, I can adjust my Mm. risks uh, and move accordingly. So there's no like, oh... When, how, now, you know, which which honestly happens to us, Malaysia. Every time an election is impending, right? So we spend a lot of our energy, uh, especially the media, discussing when the potential dates are. So there are pluses and minuses. Of course, some people say, hey, if it's truly a functioning democracy, a change of government should happen when it's meant to happen, if the numbers are right. Why do you need to prevent it? Mm. But the point is, for me, I'm a, you know, I love, I love certainty. That's my nature, right? I, what would be the harm of having a fixed-term parliament? Because it's not like you say, not saying you can't remove it. You can't remove the government in power at all. You will allow it to happen, you provided will allow. certain 
uh, requirements are met, and these requirements are very high ones. That's right. I mean, I think that I mean the question here is really what is the priority of government? Right, there's so many other things you need to sort out. We just talked about the need to separate the AG, for example, as an example. So, I guess where do you stack this right in the whole list of priorities? Then, one thing to note is we did speak to political scientist Wong Chin Huat earlier this week of Sunway University. So he gave us a little bit of a breakdown on how this FTPA could uh, take shape. He did say that this doesn't require any onerous legal overhaul. It's a bill or it's a law that can pass pretty straight forward in Parliament, given that the government does have a pretty strong majority at the moment, you More know. than two-thirds. And if... For me, if this is a way that could help um, with institutional stability, I don't. I am in support of it, to be honest. Uh, but again, like you said, Xiaoning, it's not really in the priority of the government, mm. although the law minister has said that they're working on a, a cabinet proposal yeah. on this. So we'll be watching to see how this plays out. Uh, the year is long. Anything can happen in that. Uh, okay, let us turn our attention to other stories. Now, Malaysia is a member of the international community that comes with rights and obligations. This includes being part of the United Nations Universal Period periodic review, which is a peer review of a country's human rights records that take place every four to five years. Malaysia is due to take the stage next month. So we're going to be in the dock and holding uh, ourselves to account in terms of what we're doing uh, on the human rights front. I wonder what the scorecard will look like. Uh, I can tell you what the past scorecard has been like, right, in terms of the recommendations by the NGOs. In 2009, in the first review, a total of 103 recommendations were received. 62 were accepted. 2013, 113 were accepted out of 232 recommendations. And in the third review, 147 recommendations out of 268. But it's accepted means implemented? I'm not sure. That's a very good uh, point. I don't think they're fully implemented, but mm. it's more like, hey, yeah, okay, that's a good idea. And I like that idea, but uh, doesn't he I do it? No, because some of these uh, ideas that were accepted only became law like apparently 40 years later. So not always the case. But what worries me is how come these recommendations, right, the numbers just keep getting higher and higher? Yeah. That, what does it mean? Or are we just becoming a, a society which is... Or they were recommendations that were before accepted but have not been actually been tabled. Rolled over. Rolled over. Or it could be that we're just becoming more aware of the types of human rights obligations and responsibilities that the state has. I mean, this is interesting also coming on the back of news about the director and producer of the film Mantega Terbang being mm. taken to court over criminal charges. Uh, that's something that's... Uh, could have a chilling effect on the arts space. I think a lot of questions about the government stance on freedom of expression and where the where it stands on that. Uh, but yes, we'll be keeping an eye on that. It is 9.55 a.m. Uh, we're going to head into the 10 a.m. News Bulletin and then we're handing over the baton over to Enterprise. Uh, thanks for staying tuned to WTF. What's the focus? BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.